Um, you know, it's interesting. We, as a team, we get together and we start talking about what's going on in your life and what's going on in your life and what's going on in your life. And we always seem to come up with this stream that meets all of us. And, you know, there's a saying, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, but we all go through very similar things and it's not, um, or it's one of the almost most touching things when you find out that someone else is going through something It may not be the same, but similar to you. And so we were talking about, um, you know, what's going on in your life. And so we were talking about how the Lord has just sort of been changing the way we see things. Or we're asking him to change the way we see things. And so that's how we came up with the name Unexpected Perspective. And I think... You know, when, when you think about it, when it comes to perspective, there's really three, I think, main filters that we have that sort of affect our perspective. Because we see through filters, right? You, you guys realize that. We, we see through our past experiences. We see through, you know, just different things will cause us to see things differently. I might see something different than Jenny does. And we just all, we just sort of see things differently, right? And so... I wanted to go through these three things. One thing is your physical location. So I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's the best one I have with Julia Kate. One day I was um, sitting down in the den, and I could see that, the, that she had left the bath. I think it was she had left the bathroom light on or something. Well, she was up in the kitchen, and she couldn't tell from where she was. I said, honey, you need to go turn the light off. And she was looking. She's like, Mom, I don't see the light. And I said, baby, the light is on, you know. And so she said, hmm, let me come and see that from your perspective. So she had to move locations to see it like I saw it, right? Another way um, that we have filters that build up is mentally, what you know, our knowledge, right? So I have a picture that I'm going to show you when Carol and I, and I were in Egypt, and so if you don't know anything and you just see this picture, you would say, oh, that's so cool. She's touching the top of a pyramid. Okay, so location does have something to do with this. But our knowledge tells us that a pyramid is bigger than I am, I hope. So I'm not actually touching the top of the pyramid. And so our knowledge helps us see that clearly where someone that didn't know that maybe a little child might not know anything about a pyramid and they're like oh that's so cool what are you touching you know they might actually believe what they're seeing okay so then the third uh filter that we have is our emotions now we are women so we can be honest in here when something comes up and we panic me we cannot see things clearly We just can't. Panic causes me to paralyze. I don't know if that happens to you, but I just, I'm like, um, I can't move. I don't know what's going on. I can't breathe even, you know, until I can finally calm down. But stress, panic, anxiety, um, it just causes us to see things differently. And so we have these filters. And so I wanted to go through the scriptures, just a few of each, and just sort of talk about how that was happening in the Bible. 
and how Jesus was sort of messing up their filters. How many of you want Jesus to mess up your filters? Yeah, because from the time that Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we've been seeing things differently. Before that, they saw a little bit more like God sees. But once that happened, we don't see things like that anymore. We see you right, we see you wrong, we see good, we see bad, and we view pretty much everything. They're wrong, they're right, I'm right. We see everything through this lens. And so Jesus, having come from heaven, had not fallen. He still had that perspective, of course. Coming from heaven, you would have a heavenly perspective. And so the first one I want to talk about is physically. Okay, Jesus was on the move. How many of you, when you read scripture, you can see Jesus was on the move, right? And so in Luke chapter 4, we see where Jesus is in Nazareth. And he had been speaking, and then he had actually been uh, reading scripture. And it says in verse 22, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? So he was familiar to them. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And then he starts bringing up the Old Testament, which they know. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman from Syria. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. It's nice. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So... These people, because they were familiar with Jesus, they were familiar with Scripture, they thought, we're the right people. We're in the right place. We don't really need anything. And they missed who was right in front of them. Have you ever just gotten a little too comfortable and thought, I'm okay I'm okay. I know maybe maybe I could grow in that area, but I'm okay. I'm all right. When Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I'll go to the person that's really seeking me, but if you'll seek me, you'll find me. We get comfortable. We get familiar with things. And so, Jesus left Nazareth. And in Matthew 4.12, we see that he went and went to Capernaum. And that's, I know that's not how you say it. So if you're, like, big on that, I'm so sorry. It's, like, something I can't, Capernaum something. I don't know. Something like that. But I've always said Capernaum, so it's Capernaum tonight. Okay? All right. Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee. So we're in Matthew 4, 
In verse 13, he went first to Nazareth and left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee where who? So many Gentiles live. Were Gentiles the right people? Mm-mm. But that's where he went. Jody showed me this just a few weeks ago, and I was like, I've never noticed that. Jesus went where they would listen. Jesus went where he knew he could do something. He could affect change. People would see him. People would know who he was so that they would know his father. So he went to Capernaum. Then he also went to Samaria. We know this story. He went to the woman at the well in Samaria. He's not really supposed to be talking to a woman at the well in Samaria. Not really expected. And at the end of the story, it says the disciples were shocked. But it's interesting to me, even then, so here's the woman from Samaria, and he's telling her about herself. You're right. You've been... You've had five husbands, and now the one you're with is not your husband. I know you. And she's like, well, surely you're a prophet. No big deal. That would be like a big deal to me. If somebody was telling me like all about my life, I'm like, who are you? Like, you've been watching me, stalking me? Who are you? That's what I, I mean, that's just what I would be thinking. But that is not what she said. This is interesting. Right after, she, he is telling her about her. Okay? He is telling her about her. And so she says, you must be a prophet. So we're in John 4 and verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here where our ancestors worshiped. Okay, so Jesus has just told her about herself. And he's trying to help her. You know, you're not finding the answer. You can keep going this way, but I've got some living water if you want it you know? And she's like, well, since you're a prophet, you know, is it this mountain or this mountain? What? What does that matter right now? But that is what she was seeing through, right or wrong. Are we right? Are they right? Who's right? And Jesus said, look, there's a time coming when those that worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. It won't matter what mountain you're on. So location. Where we are physically. And who we think we are location wise, right? So the second one is knowledge. Now in John chapter 5 and verse 37. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders, if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, you'll see that they're trying to find, it literally says, they're trying to find a way to kill him. And he knows that. And here's what he says in John 5, verse 37. And the father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one who sent, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. 
but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Do you know scripture or do you know Jesus? Do we read scripture to say, yes, I know that and look good in front of our friends at Bible study? Or, I mean, I, don't, I mean, just be honest, I don't want to go to Bible study unlike prepared because that is embarrassing. Like, I don't, but why am I doing that? Am I doing it because I really just want to impress my, my buddy, you know, over here in my Bible study? Or do I really want to know him? Do I want to read the, the Bible for a formula to figure out how I'm going to, you know, just fix my family or a formula to get, you know, whatever financial need that I have. I've heard a lot of formulas. You do this, 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 and this. But Jesus is just saying, they point to me. It all points to me. So they thought they knew something, but they didn't know something. They knew something, but they didn't know everything. So then you think about the leper. So it was common knowledge that you didn't touch a leper because they were unclean. So if you touch, if you're clean and you touch someone unclean, you become unclean because leprosy can spread, right? But Jesus comes along in Matthew 8. Large crowds are around. And so this man comes with leprosy and he comes to the feet of Jesus And Jesus just, he touches him. Wait a minute, Jesus, that's not what we know. But that's because when Jesus is clean and he touches someone unclean, he makes them clean. Totally messes up our filter. Doesn't it? We thought that was right not to touch someone. But when it's Jesus... And when Jesus is with you, there's grace. The ability to do what you cannot do on your own. It's different. And then we have the woman caught in adultery. And so these Pharisees bring this woman. I mean, this is just, I mean, I just feel, I just hate, I mean, this story just really like, irks me in my heart because I just picture this woman and yes she was wrong don't get me wrong don't do that okay but I'm just saying to bring her out in front of all of these people and they're like okay we know the law says you're supposed to stone her now you guys know I'm paraphrasing right not reading it okay so you're supposed to stone her and they thought they knew something. They knew what the law said, and they just had this feeling Jesus wasn't going to do that. So they thought, we know this. So let's trip him up. Let's see what he does. And so Jesus, he's listening. And what does he do? You guys know he gets down, starts writing in the dust. We don't know what, but he's writing in the dust. And they keep demanding an answer. And so finally Jesus, okay. Well, the first one of you that hasn't sinned cast the first stone. They thought they knew something. But they didn't know what he knew. A lot more than they knew. And when you look at it in John 8, um, let's see, it starts in 
the story starts in verse 1, but look at verse 12. This is right after it. it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, I don't know if that was directed to the Pharisees or to the woman or really exactly. Maybe he was referring to both. But these Pharisees were actually living in the darkness because they weren't willing to see the word himself right in their presence because they had filters. They had what they had been trained to know from when they were born, and we all have them. We have experiences in life that happen, and so we are born, and we're taught something, and then we're taught something else, and then we're taught something else, and then something happens to us, and then we're taught something, and we're taught something else, and then something bad happens to us. And then, so things just happen, and we develop these filters. And so... There's one more story about these that I want to tell you about and about our emotions. This story, I just, it's just, I'll tell you. Okay, John 11. Maybe it's my imagination. I don't know. But my, with this story, my imagination goes wild, and I can just picture, like, chaos. Like, and so picture it with me. John chapter 11 and verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, interesting the way they put that. Your dear friend is very sick. Remember, he's your dear friend. He's very sick. Okay. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It doesn't say that anyone really responded to that. I don't think they understood what he was talking about. I mean, nobody said, oh, yes, Jesus. I mean, you don't see that anywhere. There's no comment. There's even no, there's not even any questions. Because I don't know if they thought, we can ask, but I don't know if we'll get it. So I'm not sure. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? So what emotion were the disciples feeling? Fear. They were afraid. And you can't blame them. You want to go back where they're trying to kill you, Jesus? Okay. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Are you starting to see about this light coming in and coming out? He is the light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. I can imagine Jesus... They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was just simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. 
no, Thomas, this so sounds like me. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Let's go die with him. I mean, there's no like, maybe we'll make it out. It's just like, let's go die with him. Why not? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, this is just a crazy scene to me. So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, putting a little blame on Jesus. If you were here, this would not have happened. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You see how their filters were like off. But you can't blame them. Ours would have been too. We would have been just like them. But Jesus was changing filters. (laughs) Changing filters. So Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. We've already heard that once, right? So picture this with me, okay, this scene. You've got Jesus. You've got Mary, and she's falling at his feet, and she's weeping. And then you've got people coming behind her, and they're mourning and weeping. Then you've got the disciples back here like, hey, you, you watch that side. I'll watch this side. Let's just, somebody's going to come kill us. Let's just let's stay right here. Like, just watch. Let's just watch. You take watch over there. No, watch over there. I know. I know. But watch over there. Somebody's going to come kill us. I know it right now. I mean, I just can't even imagine this scene, like craziness going on. But they weren't the only ones with emotion. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people, people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. So we have anger. We have sadness, and this is Jesus. He had emotions. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. So he's got some anger and sadness all mixed up right now, right? At a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. 
Jesus responded, I didn't tell you that you would see, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And we all know that Lazarus came out and he was alive. Every person just about in this story is having some type of emotion. But you notice Jesus is the only one that is stable. He has emotion, but he knows his father. He knows his father. And so he can see right through that and still see from the father's perspective, even with the anger, even with the sadness. Now, when you look at these stories, all of them, they all kind of have a common thread. Everyone has their filters, and Jesus is redirecting them, and he's saying, hello, I'm here. I'm the light. We sang it. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm here. It isn't where or what or how. It's who. It's not always about what we see around us happening, but who are we after? The perspective is in the pursuit. That's where it's at. We're trying to figure out and fix everything and climb broken ladders. And, you know, we're trying to make everything right and make sure everybody's happy. And it's just in following him. How many times in the New Testament does it say, come and see? Come and follow me. Come. That's what, that's what he kept asking them to do. Come and see, believe. Come, follow me. That's the perspective he was asking them to have. Now, when Jesus first, I'm saying all that is foundational for this one little story. One little story. One person with a little storyline. And he, he's, a, he's an interesting character in Scripture. And so Jesus is walking along Galilee. This is when he's finding his first disciples. And he sees, at the time it says Simon, Peter, okay, out in the boat. And let me just tell you where it's at because I want to make sure I let you know. Matthew 4 is where I'm, where I'm looking from. He saw Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, and they were throwing their net into the water because they were what? Fishermen, right? So you know something. So you saw the filter and you just came up with fishermen. So here's Peter and Andrew and they're fishing. And now the gospels, this one's an abbreviated version. That's why I'm using it. But so they're fishing and Jesus says, come follow me. Have you ever had a moment with the Lord, an experience where you were just like, okay, okay, I will follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. It's like an experience, you know, like a moment where you hear him. Clearly, maybe it's the first time, maybe not, but you know you heard him. He's saying, come and follow me. You say, okay, I will. But how many of you know there's, there's a difference between experience and and relationship. And experience starts something. Marriage. Your wedding day is an experience. From that point, you begin the real relationship. And that is actually where the real growth takes place. 
marriage is one of the biggest opportunities for growth. Really, it really is. It's one of the biggest opportunities for growth. And God designed it that way. You have a beautiful wedding day and experience. Yes, I do. I will marry you for all the days of my life. I will be with you. Nothing will separate us. We're together. And then, like two months later, like, I can't believe you actually do that. Like, really? Can we stop that now? Not really a fan of that. You know, I mean, you just, it, that's when the real relationship gets going, and you're like, oh, we got to grow through this. Either I got to grow or you got to grow, but we got to grow. And so we start growing. And it's kind of like this, right? Rocky, a little rocky. It's really no different with the Lord. We have moments with him which are absolutely beautiful. I hope you have one tonight. But when you walk out the doors, you have to realize that that experience is just the beginning. That now you are in a relationship where you are called to follow him anywhere, everywhere, whatever he wants you to do. It's kind of like, you know, when his mom told the servants when he was changing the water into wine, just do whatever he tells you. You don't have to see the wine. You don't really even have to see the water. Just do what he tells you. We don't have to change what we see necessarily. We just do what he tells us. And, and, and in time, in this relationship, we just realize one day, I see differently. Wait a minute. I used, I used to see this that way. What happened? When did that change? You don't know. But he did it. God, God does things and we don't even realize it until one day we're like, wait a minute, I feel a little more confident today. Where did that come from? When did that happen? God did that. Step, he orders your steps. One step, one step, one step. And somewhere you realize on one of those steps, I don't know which step it was, but he changed me. But it's an ongoing follow me. But how do you know, how, how, how many of you guys have read through and you know that Peter... Bless his soul. I mean, we all do it. We make mistakes. And Jesus has died. Now he's risen again. And in John 21, it says, uh, it's in verse 1, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Going fishing. What did he do? But he dropped his net. I'm going to pick it back up. Because this is what I know. This is familiar. This is easy. I just, I'm going fishing. So he's out there. They go out there and they're fishing. All night they're fishing. They're not catching anything. Nothing. Then someone walks up on the shore. They don't recognize him. And they say, hey, guys, you catching anything? No. Hmm. 
Now, think about this. Peter had sort of some ups and downs, didn't he? He had moments that were really great, and then he had, you know, where he's like, yes, I know who you are, Jesus. He's like, no one has told you this except my father. I mean, you know, it's beautiful, but then there are times where he's just, like, so zealous he makes mistakes like cutting people's ears off. I mean, you know, it's a mistake. And then you've got, you know, the time where he um, sort of quit the ministry. Jesus, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. He's got some ups and downs. And that's where, you know, I think that we, when we make mistakes in our relationship, we're following. We're good. We're good. We're good. But then we make a mistake and we're like, oh, shoot. I know I was called to that, but I just totally, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I just thought I was called to that. Maybe, maybe I have, you know, a different calling. You know, we, we have more than one, right? I'm a mom. That's a calling. I'm a wife. That's a calling. There's a lot of callings. A lot of callings. Just saying. There are a lot of callings. But there are some where we just mess up royally. And that's when we start saying, no, this isn't worth it. The people that, you know, I was talking to that believe in Jesus, they were mean to me. And it's just not worth it. They, in his case, they might kill me. You know, these people, they might kill me if I know Jesus. And he would say, I, I don't know. And that's, I think, sometimes when we pick up our nets, we go back to what's familiar. Because we've messed up. And so it's interesting what Jesus does. At dawn, so this is in verse 4 of chapter 21 of John, at dawn. And I love that verse. I think someone said it in worship. His mercies are new every morning. I love that. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. So he was fishing without clothes. So, I mean, I'm telling there's some interesting stories in the Bible. Jumped into the water, and he headed to the shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the load the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. And what was it? Fish cooking over a coal fire. So often we go back to the tools that we think will help us, the tools that we're familiar with, the tools. You know, um, it always interested me in Gideon where they're like, breaking lanterns and all blowing horns. And I'm like, where's the sword? There's no sword. They have, where It must be somewhere, but there's no sword. Because we want to know where the tools are. I want the formula. Give me the tool. Let me Show me how to figure this out. I'm a mom. I got to fix things. But Jesus is like, what it is that you need, I've already got it. I've already cooked it for you. It's right here. Just come follow me. And so I love this because Peter is such an example of me 
how many times I mess up, how many times I think I have disqualified myself. I have, I mean, how do I get back up out of this? I should just go back to doing what I was doing. But Jesus said, come on, put it on the other side. In the first part, um, in one of the translations, it says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he's going to take all of their experience they already have in fishing. He's just changing the result. So all of your experiences will not go to waste. Good, bad, the ugly, everything will not go to waste. God will use them. God can use them. And he says, I will, I will make you fishers of men. Is that our part? Do we make ourselves that? He just said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then another translation says, I will teach you how. But that's not our part. Our part is just to come and follow him through the good. When we're, when we're faithful, when we're having struggles, our ups and our downs, follow him. When we're sad, when we're mad, follow him. On our good days, on our bad days, follow him. When we don't even feel like walking in church, follow him. The church is his dream. Follow him. There, there's some of the hardest pain I've ever been through. Has been with people I love, has been with God's people, but it's like a family, and family's messy, right? And, you know, I still want to follow him. No matter what is happening in our life, he's just asking us to follow him. And I think that's really the only perspective we need, that whatever's around you, just follow him and do what he tells you to do. So tonight, what I want to do um, is take a moment to just sort of think to yourself, ask the Holy Spirit right now, ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you're specifically speaking to me tonight? It may not even be something that I said. It may have been something during worship. It could be something totally unrelated. That's God. We are not putting on any filters. Just seek him right here in this moment and ask him, what is it that you want me to hear tonight? And then I'm going to ask you to put down your nets again. Because we pick them back up. But let's put them down as many times as we have to. Just keep putting them down. Putting them down. Coming back. Follow him. No matter what. And then we're going to have our prayer team. If you ladies could come on up. And the worship team, come on out. I feel like the price is right. But we have something special for you tonight. We have a, um, a beautiful little necklace. I don't know if I can. They're in here, but they're just. Um, they're really pretty, and they're mountains, because it's a reminder is where do we get our help from? It says, look to the hills or look to the mountain. Where do we get our help? It's from the Lord. 
And so we're going to have a moment where they are going to sing a song um, with us. And I'm going to ask if you're wanting to put down your net or if you have anything to pray about, come up here. And it, it doesn't have to be anything major. If anything, they will just play a, pray a blessing over you. I love those. But just come and get your necklace. Pray with your prayer partner and take it with you as I'm remembering of what the Lord spoke to your heart tonight. So that you can make it special to you. Right? Okay. So let's do that.